greetings and welcome to Liminal Light, a show that explores the languages of myth and lore, sky and star, earth and embodiment through astrology, art, and spirit engagement. I'm your host, Chris. Enjoy. Greetings and welcome back to the show. Today we have with us astrologer from Newfoundland, Elodie Miao. Hey, how you doing, Elodie? Good, how you doing? Great, fantastic. And so we've been chatting a little bit before we got recording here. So, um, And I'd seen a, um, an Instagram post this morning that you put up, um, and the question was, why so flashy? <laughs> and I figured that would maybe be a good first question. <laughs> <laughs> What's the question? Why Why so flashy? Yeah. Yeah, just, uh, yeah, no, I, yeah, so the, the, um, the picture was a picture of an eggshell that's like turquoise. And the landscape here is really just brown and green, like very dull colors around this time of year. And I was just wondering how a little tiny bird could have such a flashy shell and how dangerous, really, that uh, is for the bird. Oh, yeah, how dangerous, yeah. Yeah, I wonder so why, that, why that is, you know, like, to want to stick out like that and be, um, to be so flashy. <laughs> I was hoping that one of my uh, Instagram friends would be, like, into birds and know the answer, because right. I'm sure there's, there's a biological reason for 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 those maybe for those eggs to be so bright like i don't know <laughs> yeah totally yeah need an ornithologist like on instagram to kind of chime in but yeah exactly it's very tropical looking like it's very colorful bright turquoise which like you don't find these colors in nature usually but not like maybe some other place but not here yeah totally yeah we don't have i think um, part of the reason why I like just kind of charged in with that question is because we both live um, and we talked about this, like communicating before recording, like kind of um, adjacent to the Atlantic in um, the east of North America, you much further east than I. But um, but yeah, talking a lot about like rural living and landscape and how that that kind of plays into our astrological practice. But yeah, I like and just what the landscape is like and how it gets in our psyche. And yeah, here there's like, I know we have staghorn sumac. Do you have that there? A little bit, but not very much. We're, uh, it's more the boreal forest here. So it's very much like spruce, spruce trees and uh, like balsam fir. There's mm. not many, um, uh, how do you say, like a tree with leaves? Deciduous trees. Yeah, this is just, it's, it's really, I don't, do you guys have the Boreal down there in Maine? Yeah, it's like transitional, yeah. But you have a lot more greens, I feel like. Mm -hmm, yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, I brought up Staghorn Sumac because it really stands out. It's, it's native, but it looks very, very tropical, you know, and we get like that like bright red color from it or like a deep red. And then sometimes you get like fireweed that's like a, along streams and things like that that's like a really startling red color like a like kind of um, fuchsia yeah 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 we have fireweed fireweed here too 
but other than that, you know, like you see a robin's egg and it blows your mind, you know, like, every, um, or sometimes we get like a, um, a kind of like fungus, like, like a, a mycelium, like kind of in like a rotted log. That's a similar color. The turquoise color? Yeah. Cool. We have like the brightest fungus here would be witch's butter, which is like, or like bright orange mm. and rubbery. Yeah. Do you ever eat that? No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I, uh, we have hedgehog and chanterelle that I eat and chaga. Uh-huh. And uh, that's about a few bolitas, but the slugs usually get to them first here. Um, but I did, I did work on the west coast of Canada for a long time in BC. And uh, there's a lot of really cool mushroom out there too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a whole different scene. Yeah, I I eat the witch's butter even though it's like Do you? it's not bad for you and it's not good for you. It's just like has a lot of water content, you know, but it's a fun way to kind of like just be digesting uh something that's like speaking through the forest, you know, and kind of just taking part, you know. Absolutely. I'm all about eating the land for sure. I think like that's one of the best thing about like we were talking about material locality, like kind of settling in and crystallizing into landscape and the place where you live, especially when you're living rural. And I think like eating what is around you is one of the best way to do that because you're sort of becoming part of that landscape by ingesting it, you know? Yeah. Literally like replacing your cells with some of the cells of, of that's like, what's the place that's hosting you. Yeah, and also I find it's just easier to communicate with your surrounding and know what your surrounding wants if you're actually, you know, sort of communing in that in that way um, with it. And I just really like that idea. I was I was actually picking nettle for the last couple of days because it's growing a lot right now here. Um, and yeah, it makes me so happy to just be eating the food from where I'm walking every day and where I live. Oh yeah, absolutely. And so have you always lived rural? Uh, yeah, pretty much. My parents were not city people, so we always sort of lived outside of town. I moved around a lot growing up. Um, I was born in Quebec and my mom uh, wanted to be a midwife, <clears throat> but it was illegal in Quebec back oh, wow. in the 90s. Yeah. Um, and the first university program, uh, was in Ontario, which is the province next door to Quebec. And so when I was 14, we moved to Northern Ontario. I didn't speak one word of English and it was sort of kind of traumatic a little bit (laughs) coming from like East Quebec, uh, just completely Francophone. And my mom studied at the university there and then we moved to Ottawa she finished her study midwifery studies in Ottawa and so I went to high school in Ottawa but I was living outside in the boonies so I was like one of the kids from the boonies all the time uh, which was perfectly fine with me I just (laughs) I love being in nature and then I lived in Montreal a little bit in my early 20s and then I started cooking on tree planting camp at 23 and met a Newfoundlander and then the rest is history I've been here for 15 years in Newfoundland. I lived very, very isolated in my 20s with, without electricity or running water or cell phone or anything. And now I'm like more in the countryside, not so isolated. And 
we have solar panel, we're producing electricity, we have a well, so it's a it's definite upgrade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. yeah, so it's hard to ask this question to someone who's kind of always been rural, but um, why why live rural, or like why are you drawn to living rural? I think well, <laughs> I could explain it astrologically. Um, yeah, sure. Uh, I think just. Um, having a moon in Taurus, there's something very rustic about, uh, I guess just, uh, yeah, having a moon in Taurus, there's an attraction to like, uh, the simple peace that comes with nature. There's just this connection. I think for me, that makes me feel really, uh, Zen. Uh (laughs) I, I said, I lived in Montreal, my early 20s and that's probably the time in my life where I was the most miserable I was really really I didn't know what to do with myself I didn't I was like in an existentialist crisis you know just like what is the point of existence I don't know I don't want to participate in this rat race you know society I was just so confused and then as soon as I moved to Newfoundland into the woods (laughs) with my partner I was like oh this is that was the only problem i don't need i don't need to figure it out it's it, i just right. needed, <laughs> yeah. i just needed to be in nature it just completely appeased my soul and i just don't i'm not an ambitious person by nature i'm very easily satisfied with simple pleasure and i think being in nature just gives me that purpose gives me that connection and i just don't feel yeah i just don't need to participate in the or yeah i don't have that such a strong desire to participate in like the economy and all of that (laughs) right yeah (laughs) yeah even yeah oh sorry Sorry. go ahead (laughs) i was just gonna say even though like you can't yeah you have to we're I can't deny society. I'm part of it. I'm on the internet. I'm talking to you via the web. So, you know, it's, it's a utopic idea to think that you can completely uh, not participate, but um, yeah. Yeah. And that's something that we talked about, like, like kind of like, what is it like to live um, rurally as an astrologer and, and that experience of kind of being like um, outside of, of like cultural nexus like that, but then able to be a part of it because of technology. And like, um, it's interesting to kind of look at things from the outside, but like have this ability to like now with like how like digital networks are be really participatory. Absolutely. I think it's wonderful in my twenties, not having connection, not having a social connection to anyone. I was living with my partner uh, really isolated. I suffered a lot from that isolation and not having connection with friends and like community. And now because of internet and me be practicing astrology and connecting with the community, I'm just completely nourished by that. So I don't know, it makes a huge difference. So I would not deny that. But the, the other thing I kind of into it coming into the near future is I think a lot more people will try to go back to nature or, you know, maybe build like, uh, what are they called? The small house, tiny houses. Yeah. I, I, I have a feeling that because of the internet and how the economy is changing via the internet, I feel like a lot of more people will kind of adopt this, this lifestyle. And it's, it seems to be around the corner. Yeah. You know? I, I agree. 
and in this way that like, I don't know if this is, it might be similar to some of your experiences, but where I live, like living in a rural place, but having it be like a completely collapsed economy and, um, you know, uh, people up to no, a lot of people up to no good, you know, like around here and, uh, and having the kind of, because of like the distribution of, of digital economies and, and those kind of like ability to network and kind of be more autonomous. Like, you know, there's like these, uh, platforms that would be like, Oh, you can run your whole, you have a good idea here. You can run a whole business. Here's a bunch of templates and giving people something to do, like a way to like, uh, move kind of monetary units around that isn't maybe necessarily uh traditional capital, but, uh, it might like kind of reach out into the rural areas where people would rather be anywhere any, I mean, anyway, and, um, the kind of return to like the village where people can like kind of, um, can live away from the big superstructures and the rat race, but also be able to have like the, uh, the things around them where they can like congregate, like, cause where I live, there's like, there's just gas stations, you know what I mean? Like, and then nothing else. Like I can't like walk into like walk to a general store or ride a bike to a general store or something like that, you know? Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm pretty lucky here in the last, I've been in this place for eight years and there's been a huge development in regards to organic farming around here. So I have a couple of friends doing organic farming and then, so there is this sort of flourishing of rurality, uh, but it's rural Newfoundland is a little bit different than rural, I would imagine on the continent. Um, just because Newfoundland is rural. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, and it's an island, so there's something about being on an island already. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's very rural in that sense, but I'm close to St. John's, which which is the capital. So there's there's still a lot of things going on culturally. I I can imagine the landscape you live in that you're describing to me. Um, and when I lived in central Newfoundland in my 20s. It was like that, too. There was absolutely nothing. It took me two hours to get into my place. It was just a forest mm. and and caribous and moose. And there was just nothing. Um, yeah, but, there's stuff going on like 35 minutes from where I am. But it's not like I'm imagining like like what you're saying about like a like kind of the future of where things might be going with like more people like having a rural lifestyle and smaller houses, like being able to kind of autonomously set up like more kind of like village kind of setting, um, you know, like I think that's like an important one, like the return of the pub. That's not the sports bar, you know, return of like the public house and like the, the general store in the the center piece of an, of an area. And there could be, they can just kind of spurt up and fruit on their own. They don't have to be kind of organized, um, by like private capital or something. Yeah, I think, you know, I think this sort of started in the 60s. I know in Quebec anyway, there was a lot of return to nature movement. Like people were doing communes and wanted to do gardening and all of that. Like I sort of grew up with hippie parents like that. And a lot of friends that gravitated around my parents were sort of like that. But it's, it's funny because if you look at a lot of the organic companies like cereal companies or I don't know, bees, uh, birds, bees and stuff like that, I think it started with these ideas and then it just became completely capitalist, you know, like completely like a mega structure. It's almost like with time, 
and necessity people just kind of turn to like I don't know you can have like big ideas about not participating or living a simple life and being a hermit and studying and dedicating yourself to spiritual practice and but eventually you get older and security needs or who knows what happens but it seems to be a sort of wave and I feel like right now it's it's sort of a repeat of the 60s in that sense like a lot of people want to return to nature want simpler ingredients local they want to farm uh, better materials because yeah it seems it's just not sustainable we know this um and i feel like our parents sort of already did a little bit of that in the 60s 70s and then it went completely <laughs> mainstream and then we're doing this again a little bit. And who knows with Pluto and Aquarius what will be, you know? Yeah, totally. That's, yeah, that's, I guess what I was kind of driving at is like, um, that's definitely this, the narrative around here. It's like a, it's this, the area I live in is, um, is like Waldo County, um, Maine and is totally the like ground zero organic farming back to the lander kind of narrative, you know? And like, uh, Burt's Bees isn't like from very far away from here and like no way really uh, yeah <laughs> and like uh but um but this time around you know after like the the um we get the Jupiter and Saturn conjunctions and air signs instead and we move into this like next air um era in earnest like in 2020 you know like what like you know everyone has these compulsions to get back the back to nature, but this time around, they're not going to necessarily run into the traditional, like, um, materialist, like economic hierarchies as much and run into a different kind of like autonomous kind of setup, like, uh, that's kind of facilitated by, by whatever the, the digital, um, marketplace facilitates at this point, which we're not even sure like which direction that's going to take, but it's, it doesn't seem like it's going to be the same narrative as before as like, like you're saying is like, um, you're like, Oh yeah, they had really good intentions, but then these larger conglomerates kind of bought them out or ate them up or something or like money, money, money was an issue. And that's just how it goes. It seems like there might be the opportunity just kind of do your, to capitalize in a sense on their thing without having it, um, kind of just be like, clicking up into like a bigger machine or something yeah it's it's like the potential for individuality is a lot higher with the internet it's definitely you know i can run my business on internet right now have clients all over the world and i'm just autonomous in what i'm doing uh, as an astrologer you know so and i would have never been able to do that just like 20 years ago yeah same it's bonkers right when you're like out like looking at the robin's egg and you're like oh i better go home and like deal with my clients you know yeah prep for my consultation which is i'm super thankful for it it's a lot of computer time and stuff but that's the other thing i was just going to say about like the the direction of the digital world the 5g network that's going to be implemented supposedly is going to run like a million faster than the internet we know and and supposedly now they're saying it's going to completely change the way we do things. Um, there's so many on so many levels. There's so many layers with the 5G. I don't know if you know anything about it, but it's it's sort of fascinating to speculate what will 
become of that uh, of that technology the other side of it is the physical aspect of 5g is actually really damaging and has been proven time and time again it's damaging for the physical environment so for and to people living for to living creatures around yeah. and work so all these mutation i i can just almost like see all these mutation arising from having super fast internet um, technology advancing like crazy but also new sickness arising from from like utilizing these networks you know yeah for sure yeah it's like looking at like um like cycles of of like kind of um like epidemic like diseases or or like plagues or things like that and being like okay what's like the next wave like the last episode i did um talked a lot about like um like in neptune in aquarius like and uh and that generation coming to be like adult age and you know what the next like kind of drug epidemic is going to be with like the like uh the uranus i mean the um the Aquarius like kind of version of drug epidemic, you know, and like interesting. Yeah. I should listen to that because I've been talking a lot about that. I'm working with a lot of young people and it seems to be that pharmaceutical is, is really big with the younger generation. Yeah. And they're getting like FDA approval for like video games that are like, um, to treat like, um, mental and physical kind of like disorders and conditions, you know, where you're like, so so this, like this video game is like of, it's like of drug strength. It's like, you know, it's like simulation of, of something to, to deal with the mental illness. I had heard about something like that with schizophrenia actually. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, wow. Before we get to, uh, too far (laughs) down like a digital (laughs) rabbit hole, I was wondering like about, talking about living rural you know not just as a person but as like an astrologer like um you like your physical experience of living that way like um you know like how if like just the sky and the stars itself you know it's like sometimes i think about the sky is like literally half of our landscape even though we don't get to physically touch it so much you know like yeah and that like living you know as an astrologer it's like okay well why would you live like in a place like that so far away from like people and other astrologers and things like this, but you're like, well, you know, like you are like an intimate um, connection with, with the stars in the sky. And, and I feel like with certain stars in particular, you start to like have like a really intimate um, relationship with, you know, like where every time it comes around, every time you see it, you're like, Oh, that's my star. You know, or that's yeah, that's absolutely. like I'm I'm really involved in that, especially um, as a mag- um, like a magical practitioner as well, where you're like, okay, I get good results from that, or I like, you know, I have like a real rapport with the spirits that might reside there, or the communication that comes from there, or you know, like uh, certain timings that you're like, well, this is my jam, so I always wait for this to come around, and um, yeah, absolutely, I there's there's this rhythm there's this like you just when you do astrology there's a rhythm already but if you're just using a software or you know an ephemeris you can see that rhythm but it's not the same as the natural like actually seeing the rhythm even just the moon cycle you know seeing like the moon progress to like full to waning and really just participating in that rhythm i don't know it's obviously essential i i 
I mean, I do go to Montreal sometime to visit friends and stuff. And I'm still like, okay, I'm looking in the sky for my points of reference because it's part of, it's like drinking water or something now. Yeah, know? yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, I guess, yeah, there's a the whole reflective aspect also that the quiet of being in nature allows me. Um, I think living off grid in nature is a sacrifice in some ways, but also um, it's a privilege. I see every day I see it as a privilege for sure. If I lived in the city, I probably would not have time to do as much contemplation and reflection with astrology. Um, I think, you know, like living in the city is a lot more expensive like rent and all this stuff like expense going out with people or I don't know I just feel like when you're in the city you're more distracted by needs and bills and stuff like that so in a sense for me being off grid in nature is sort of the the, the sweet spot I found to be an astrologer I always imagined that like if I live in the city, I can still be an astrologer, but not the same way. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I feel like there would be so many other things occupying my attention or something. And then you get caught on in the collective psyche that resides in the city and you get carried away into like, oh, I should market this or, oh, I should do like I should do uh, astrology night or I should, you know. Yeah, totally. I like I'm so not inclined to want to make money with my practice, which is probably my downfall as a business person. But it's so much more, astrology is so much more to me and living rural allows me to be that, to, to sort of live my truth in regards to that and not feel rushed to produce and make money and put myself out there and make publicity and all this stuff. I'm just sort of, like I said, I'm satisfied you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And like, like you said, like kind of, and it's interesting about like what you might see, um, see how the astrology is playing out as you're observing it when you're like, Oh, this aspect is happening. Um, let's see what happens. And you might, it's very easy to see it in like people's behavior or, or just weird, like what movie, uh, like you get from Netflix or whatever. And you're like, Oh my God, that's so, uh, like we just got on, this weird movie kick where everything seemed to be like related to Mars and cancer, you know, like interesting. there was like, Oh, it's, you know, we get DVDs in the mail from the Netflix subscription. And it's like the one it sent us was like killer nuns, you know? And then, like, <laughs> and then we watched like the new Suspiria movie. And then, uh, but like that just was how it like queued up, you know? And like this, like, um, it was just like all these themes of like, and then in like life too, you know, themes of like, um, like my grandmother has just had surgery and she's really stressing out my mom and like, you know, and then we just went to my wife's like grandmother's 90th birthday party. And like, it was like all of this like turmoil and, uh, like tension around, around like issues with like mothers and their, and their daughters who are mothers and then their daughters, you know, as well, you know, like. Um, and so that's like one way that you see it like play out a lot with people and you can observe that really readily in a city. You can see it everywhere, but yeah. in, when you're living outside of the city in nature, like it's like really interesting to see, um, how the astrology might be playing out like in animal behavior or in like weather patterns. Like I always notice like when there's a big Neptune aspect, there's like, 
you'll like really uh, commonly see like fog or floods, yeah. you know? You guys get fog too a lot? Yeah, like, yeah, totally. Yeah. The moon in Pisces on Monday, we had so much fog. Oh, yeah, same. Totally (laughs) same. Yeah, it was all fogged out. Froggy weather. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, there'll be like... Sorry, you can finish your phrase. Sorry, I cut you off. No, no, go ahead. Um, I was just going to say, do you know Jeffrey Cornelius? He's like a writer. He wrote a book called The Moment of Astrology. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah. He's like a guy from England. Anyways, he always talks about the participatory nature of divination. I feel like, it, you know, there's always a debate, like, what is astrology? Is it divination? Is it an art? Is it a language? But I, when it comes to seeing transit play out, it's really, that's when, you know, there's something really participatory. It can be, like, internal or, like you said, when you're in the city, it could be external because people, you're in situation and scenarios. Yeah, like people, people and media, yeah. Yeah, I don't watch much TV here. I, we have two channels, so I watch, like, Joe Party. I've been watching <laughs> Joe Party um, because there's, like, a guy that's been winning, like, crazy for you. Like, yeah, yeah, right, totally. I haven't seen it, but people have told me about it. It's, like, a phenomenon. Yeah, Yeah. so that's my excitement when it comes to TV. I'm <laughs> yeah. like, oh, I must watch Joe Party now. Um, but in the weather, definitely, although there's not very much sun here, um, the wind, I'm – I pay attention to the wind a lot and which direction is coming and stuff uh, because and it's the same thing for you the w- the wind we get is the wind that's coming from the south and it's the gulf stream and then it moves up and it's the wind that's on its way to europe basically mm-hmm. so any storms that are on the way to europe passes to you and then passes to me and it carries so much with it and when it gets here on the coast of St. John's on the East Coast, it's the most northerly point of North America, or sorry, the most easterly point of North America. It really is so potent. It has like travel all this con- continent and you can really feel what it's carrying, you know? Yeah, totally. I'm sure it's like that for you. You guys get a lot of uh, wind in the main. Yeah, we get yeah. like um, from the... From coming from the north, from the tundra, and then coming from the west a lot, and then we get it, yeah, the Gulf Stream, like you're saying, off the ocean. So really different weather systems depending on which way it comes from. But And that makes me think, you know, when you're looking at astrology all the time and then you're looking at seasonality and directionality and you're looking at things that happen in Libra and things that happen in um, in Aries, et cetera, and, then, and being able to kind of see, like... Um, see some of that wind coming from different directions and, and referencing like what in magical traditions, like the four Kings might represent, you know, of like the four Cardinal directions and, absolutely, and and like the houses, like seeing the East, looking to the East and seeing the first house and then, and then looking to the West and seeing the seventh house and looking, you know, to the, um, to the South and seeing the uh, 10th house and, to the north and seeing the fourth house, you know, and like, yeah. Uh, and it's interesting that you say that now, because I've never actually put the two and two together, but north is really associated with ancestors. And that's interesting. That would be the fourth house. I never even put two and two together until now. Yeah. I guess like, cause <laughs> looking to the south, you know, it's like, uh, you're seeing like the top of the ecliptic because of the or at least where we live in the Northern hemisphere, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. and then, so if you look, it's just like you turn your back to that and the fourth house would be there, but maybe like down below, you know, like down beneath you, but kind of facing more North than South. 
Yeah, because I always conceptualize the rising, obviously, but I've stopped there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Now. <laughs> when I'm conceptualizing things, uh, especially like with the cycle of Venus here, like I can see her so clearly when uh, when she's setting after the sun here. The horizon is just perfect because we're at the ocean level, and so yeah, like that's probably one of the best uh, planet to see here just um venus cycle and last year or two years ago maybe it was summer she was next to the pleiades and i got really good pictures and you could just see everything so clearly it was really breathtaking and then i would go back and forth from like my eyes to my software because i was looking at right it totally rising <laughs> rising in real time you know yeah yeah it's like wow this is unbelievable like this like astrology and astronomy together is just complete, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think that's like, if, if astrologers haven't spent much time out with the sky, you know, like it's definitely worth planning some camping trips. Cause like, yeah, I was going to ask you about the, uh, or just comment on like, you know, living rural and one, one, like the, the morning star and evening star becomes really apparent, you know? Like, oh yeah. It's so beautiful. It's just like, yeah, like you said, you I you were saying that you feel certain connection to stars. For me, it's it's Venus. I'm just like Venus girl or guy. Uh, yeah. you know? I'm totally just completely hypnotized by her metaphorically <laughs> in my life in general and like physically when I see Venus, I'm just completely mesmerized. I have hundreds of pictures of Venus. <laughs> I'm actually exhibiting uh, next month uh, in a cafe and it's all Venus pictures. Oh, awesome. <laughs> but she loves it. She wants to be right. broadcast. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I wonder if you've noticed before, a couple of years ago when um, Venus was very, very bright and it was evening star and I was outside with a friend and and, and they're not an astrologer and they were like, what is that? That is like so crazy. And I was like, oh, that's Venus. And we were looking at it and they were like, that's crazy that it's Venus because you can almost see it looks like a pentagram. Like it almost looked like the way it was shining. You could almost yeah, the, um, see it as like a five pointed star, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've captured that on camera, actually. Just um, the little spikes like. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's crazy. And also I loved um, f- uh, Phosphorus and um, what's the one? I can't remember now the names for her. Um, there's like so many different yeah, names. Yeah, he- he- Hesperus and Phosphorus. Hesperus. Yeah, and uh, and then Lucifer too. It makes so much sense that Lucifer, like I don't know, just like the whole sort of what the word arises in people's consciousness and seeing the power of Venus. I just I feel like something happened along the way, obviously, but. I just feel like she carries that name really well. Yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and so like weather patterns, like seeing the stars, like like I, we were just talking like Neptune and floods and fog, and then I I often see like Uranus aspects um, and lightning, um, and you know that's like a re- easy association, but you know like even in times of year where there's not typically going to be lightning, like in the middle of the winter, like when you don't get like a thunderstorm there's been some sort of weird like staticky thing happening in the atmosphere where there's some sort of flashing dry lightning or something. I'm like, wow, that's, huh. we don't get lightning in Newfoundland. Oh really? Wow. 
I haven't really seen it here. Not very much. Oh, I don't crazy. think I've seen it on the East Coast here at all, actually. Yeah, for the most part, it's just gray, rain, fog, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 windy. Um, but like I said, I did like I worked, I lived and work in a lot of different places. And uh, I was working in BC two years ago when it was crazy fires. I can't remember oh, yeah. the aspect there was now, but it was so obvious. I was like, yeah, this is what it is. We got evacuated and stuff. Wow. Um, from the fires because yeah, it was just so crazy. And I, I can't remember the aspect now, but at, at the time it was like, yeah, this is what it is. But for the most part, I think the reason I love being in the fog here and I'm so in love with this sort of gray coast is that it's very inter like internalizing. You, there's just something you talk about, like seeing astrological aspect play out outside of nature and stuff like that. Yes. But I feel like I internalize a lot of like... Yeah, it's sort of like a mood, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, and then I try to translate it for people by writing or often it's just by image, you know, or yeah. even just a word or something. I like I'm I have an easier time with image than than words. But yeah, and I think that's like one of the things I first noticed about your forecasts and and like um from social media and seeing your posts and like reading your forecast and seeing the image that you selected and like really relating with it that like, you know, like forecasting is like kind of its own thing, you know, like where you're like how to uh, be like, okay, here are all the aspects. How are we going to put them into language and how are we going to kind of like use, I think you said before is like astrology as an, as an, an intelligence itself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, um, how you select, like, like you're taking in so many different um, pieces of of information from like the array of of the of all the patterns of aspects you're trying to select that you're going to portray and say this next week is going to be like this, and then going and finding like an image that like rings every bell, you know. Yeah, it's. I think that's the hardest thing, especially for people that when you start writing, like astrologer that starts writing forecasts like that, the hardest thing is to not talk about everything. Because, you know, you're excited as an astrologer, you want to break it down and talk about everything. But 80% of the readers don't really understand astrology as you do as an astrologer. So you really have to find other ways to convey, like... Uh, convey it so that's how I started with images first because I thought okay if I go into detail on my forecast at least people will be resonating with the image a lot of people that don't know what I'm talking about like conjunct blah 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 they don't know like they don't they yeah yeah they don't know and with time that's what I yeah when I first started when I was a student and started writing online and stuff I was losing people like my family and stuff, my friends were reading me and they were like, it seems really interesting, but I just don't get it. I don't understand, <laughs> you know? Right. So it, you can make decision as an astrologer. You can either write for other astrologers or astrology enthusiasts, or you can also just try to convey it the best way for everybody, you know? So that's at the point I'm at now. And I think that's why the selection of images. So usually if I write a forecast, I'm going to sit down with everything, all I'm going to delineate everything. I'm going to take like two hours, delineate everything, look at it in the bigger scope of things too. 
and I'm sort of med it's like a sort of meditation. I try to really sort of digest it and feel it. And then I go on a crazy Google sort of frenzy image Google, like and until I find the image, sometimes it can be like an hour, two hours, sometimes it's half hour. But it's really important for me to yeah, if I have time. Most of the time I do, sometimes I don't. But I feel like at least even if somebody just grasps a little bit of the words and then they connect with the image, that way they can integrate the knowledge without having to integrate the intellectual part of it, if that makes any sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and I think, you know, that where it goes, all those notions go across like like living in the landscape and feeling the astrology in your body as a language, being like uh, looking at the shades of of like the bark of a tree and be like, wow, that's like, that's really changed. It's much more Venusian looking now and like taking <laughs> yeah. all that sensory information and then looking at the, like the aspects itself. And like, you know, like, cause if you, you know, like, uh, like tarot for instance, and they were like, like, well, is the history of tarot really like from some, um, like secret, like Kabbalistic knowledge? And you're like, well, probably not, but like the, the, um, everyone thought astrologically like in the Renaissance, you know? So like the, what was produced was from an astrological kind of like symbol making system, meaning making understanding mind, you know? And like that you come to live in that mind as an astrologer. So every single thing you look at is like speaking to you in these signifiers and these archetypes, you know? And Absolutely. Then- yeah. It's the most beautiful thing. That's, I think that's why people who study astrology never come back from it. Because once you do that, you're just like, how can I live without that? It's like an upgrade. It's like a software upgrade. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. <laughs> you know, I have this lens that allows me to absolutely like feel things at a completely different level. And on top of it, not feel things. If I, if I don't want to, I can just back off and objectively look at what's going on and be like, yeah, that'll pass because that's just the moon like in in the hole with Pluto and Saturn right now, you know? Yeah, totally. And as like or, a, a magical practitioner to actually kind of be like, I'm not going to let so much of that come into my life right now, you know? Absolutely. But that's where I think magic and astrology intersect. And you don't really have a choice. If you study astrology, at some point you're going to come across magic because astrology has been utilized it like in tandem with magic forever. I, I think... I mean, some of the motivation of of astrologer, you know, 2,000 years ago was for magical purpose. We use the word magic, but it's not necessarily magic. It's right. just participating with existence, knowing the time, knowing, the, you know? Yeah. I'm like, I find it's just magic is such a loaded word. I mean, you know? It's, totally. There's, there's too many associations. There's with it now it's just been corrupted almost and i feel like we all have that potential and then astrology gives us that weather you know yeah yeah it's it's interesting now seeing um you know magic coming back into um, acceptance within the astrological culture and being like oh no look there are these texts that like it's a whole wing of um of astrology, there's like electional, there's like horary, there's, uh, there's, you know, like mundane, there's natal. And like, like we can pick up four or five texts here and say like, well, these are magical texts and they're astrological texts. So that's just 
historically that's just how it is. But a lot of those are like talismanic in nature. But it's interesting, like uh, practicing magic as an astrologer. That's not only just the talismanic protocol magic. You know what I mean? No, you become uh, well. I personally, from my, I'm just speaking for myself here, but I've just become sort of. I've I always sort of lived in a symbolic. Uh, in a symbolic way. I mean, even before I knew the language of astrology, I sort of did a little ritual. I think, you know, I think it's human nature to do that. Uh, But then astrology gives you a framework to work within that's so precise that like, it's just, it would be silly not to. And I think, you know, if you, yeah, if you look back, like Baghdad is a talisman, like Baghdad was found, like it was selected to be like a giant talisman. Yeah, like, totally. <laughs> um, I mean, astrology always had that purpose because it's, it's knowledge of when it's good to do certain things. And it's just about defining what is magic, you know? Right. Totally. I guess, um, I, I guess I mean like do, you know, when you're doing talismanic magic, you're doing magic certain like certainly and you're doing astrology certainly but when you're doing like say as a magician doing like dream work or or more like uh like journeying or or body-based work or like visionary work or or uh certain kinds of sorcery that aren't just like not just the electionally based influence of astrology but like kind of like being able to kind of get in that place where like, like you're saying you have that upgrade in consciousness, you know, like, or, or symbolic, symbolic processing or pattern processing. Exactly. Like, um, well, you know, I was telling you, I was kind of contemplating a Venus election a couple of days ago. Then I decided not to the next morning, really early. I had a dream. Probably Venus was rising at that time because Venus has been rising at around like four 30 here. Mm -hmm. Um, and I dream of this woman dancing, this black woman dancing, like gyrating her hips, all sweaty. Like it was <laughs> crazy. It was like absolutely out of this world. And when I woke up, I was like, okay, I didn't get up to do my Venus election, but she definitely came to me, you know? Yeah, I, yeah. I saw her. And if I didn't have the knowledge of astrology, I mean, these dreams might happen, but it just becomes sort of more complex and it informs me too i'm not just learning about venus through books i'm learning about venus through like experience yeah like like we were saying nature outside but also you know for me there's a lot of internal process so dreams um so venus came to me and then for the next couple of days i just been thinking about gyrating hips and stuff Uh like that (laughs) about and associating it with venus you know yeah and it just kind of adds to my knowledge in that in that way. But yeah. it was also at the time Venus was rising and I was contemplating doing a magical election. But I was really satisfied with just that. Honestly, I don't I'm not like I like the materiality and materializing certain things, but I'm also happy to just experience experience. <laughs> I don't I yeah. Yeah, totally. I totally hear you. And I think that's kind of like exactly what I was kind of getting at is what you're saying about like, um, you know, you're doing the work, you know what the language is, you know what the archetypes are. And from like an animistic point of view, you know, you get that actual feedback where where the intelligence or the spirits of, of Venus are, are speaking to you. And you can kind of Absolutely. like incorporate that because like when spirits speak to you, it's 
an interface with your thoughts and, and outside thoughts. And they kind of make these like blended images in the imaginal space in your mind. That's more, a lot more um, operative than people often think. Like the imagination is just for either making art or just kind of daydreaming or something, but that you can do a lot more with it. Like if you kind of point it around and, and let it be receptive, like a, like transceive, like, like transmit and receive, you know, like, yeah, I couldn't have said it better. It's exactly it. And I was like, in a, because for the last week I've been sort of putting myself in that space you know when you're going to do a working with a planet you prepare and then it sort of start coming to you slowly and stuff until the day you decide to do maybe uh, a working or something for the last week some like people have been giving me flowers there's been like you know it's just slowly been building up and then I decided not to do the workings but I still had like a very vivid uh, image and so I knew that I was communicating I was in communion and in a sense that's good enough for me you know it's sort of like a petition or it's like I don't know yeah it's, totally it's not like it's a confirmation it's not as cause and effect like allopathic like I did the petition and I got the result and I can like note it in my notebook or something it's like that's the problem I have is I guess I'm not like we were talking, I'm materialistic. I love jewelry. I love clothes, blah, blah, blah. But in a bigger sense, I'm never driven by material, like acquiring something or getting uh, the love of a man or being rich and famous. Like, obviously there's some part of me that maybe wants that, but I would not waste my, well, waste Venus time asking for like (laughs) petty, petty stuff like that. I feel like it's just a I don't know. It's too, it's too mundane. I just feel like it's, I don't want to reduce, reduce it to that. And, and so I feel like in a lot of magical circle, like in forums on Facebook and stuff, so many people are like, Oh, I'm broke. I don't have money. I need a talisman for this and this and that. And I just like, I just don't. Yeah. I'm just not, I don't want to be at that. I'm not like, I'm going to build you a Venus talisman so you can attract love. I mean, astrology has been doing that forever, but I just, there's parts of me that resists it, resists that aspect of the whole, the whole business. I'm just, I, I kind of want to be anti-business. And that's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm more interested in education and experience and obviously, yeah, like I, I could contradict myself tomorrow. I'm still very materialistic and all that. That's not, what I mean so much, but I don't know. I think you, you get what I mean. Yeah, I just... totally. Yeah. I mean, I think like, a uh, you know, Venus is like, especially in Taurus, like sensual experience of the world includes, uh, like what you're saying is like materialistic jewelry, but it's like, like it loves materials and craft and, and the like glimmer of this ring and the, the feeling of this fabric, you know, and that's just part of her nature. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I just meant more in general, like astrological magic purposes in general. Yeah, I totally, feel yeah. like it would be a waste to just like be like, oh, please, Venus, bring me the love of my life. Because deep down, I know that that's just not like that doesn't like love kind of it's a choice, you know, Yeah, yeah. like <laughs> you sort of have to participate yourself and do things if you want things to happen. I I don't know. I, I'm sort of interested in the higher expressions somehow. And I guess that's always been the problem with 
internet and marketing myself as an astrologer and like offering two for one readings on Instagram or something. Right. <laughs> I just like never, I, I have this resistance to reducing the craft to, to like, and I, and I don't have anything against people doing it. I respect and admire a lot of people that do that. Um, I just have this reflex in myself where I'm just like, no, I can't do it. You know, I'll go and I do 10 hour baking shift before selling out like myself <laughs> yeah, like that. Right. <laughs> I, just because I can't, I just, I, I don't know what it is. Yeah, it just doesn't feel right to me. Yeah. It's like a thin line for sure. Like the, like where, uh, where the like wheeling and dealing like starts and ends, you know? <laughs> yeah. And like, it's such a beautiful opportunity to have internet and Instagram and to market yourself as an astrologer. And I don't know, I'm just, you know, I was contacted by certain apps to participate and I'm just like so conflicted about the whole thing. It's just something that is not resolved within me. So I'm just not, yeah, and like writing horoscopes for magazines and white um, uh, websites and stuff. I mean, it pays so well when you're an astrologer to do that. And it's a, in your advantage if you want to be a full-time astrologer to seek these sort of contracts. Um, but once again, living rurally, I don't have as much expenses. And that's the choices I make, you know? Yeah, totally. No, I hear you. I want to go back a little bit to what we were saying about um, like – you know, results driven, like talismans or magic versus like, kind of like receiving that transmission of like, kind of the, um, the gyrating hips and like that <laughs> being yeah. like, because I'm really with you there. And that's like, there's such a, with like words, like witchcraft, like becoming so like, um, like mediaized, you know, it's hard to reference them anymore and to like make like intelligible sense out of that, like on, on like a scale that communicates across the board. But like, it seems like, uh, like I like this area where like working, um, astrologically and then, and then in a lived experience of like what in witchcraft terms would be like maybe phrases like, like just the process of becoming or becoming like the other, you know, like, and like, and, and living in that, um, rather than living in logos, like living in like, like thereo forms, you know, more primal, like it's something I've been thinking a lot about with like the lunar mansions and like, and I noticed, uh, you pay a lot of attention to the moon in a, in a way in the lunar cycle in a way that I really like in your forecasting style, like, and that like, you know, that you like live in the lunar cycle and like your body is in the lunar cycle and your mind is in the lunar cycle. And so is your imagination and, and your dreams, you know, and that like being in that rhythm and kind of getting to be able to like pick up on different animation, like images and animations, like as, as the moon goes around and meets all the planets and goes through all the signs and all the rulerships, like, and what to do with all of, all of that, like, with all the gyrating hips or whatever else it creates and how <laughs> yeah. to weave that into your life. Like, um, I want to see more of that in astrology and what happens with astrology rather than just predicting or counseling or, uh, or results driven magic, like where it's kind of like a creative, it, it goes into something creative, um, and something like that, uh, feeds, feeds back into itself and becomes more and more, um, like involved, like with the, with 
the other and with the numinous, like where it's, uh, we're allowing astrology to, to be a guide and a teacher to us through that ability to kind of think, uh, think and feel and express like, uh, like let the archetypes do the do the work and present themselves as they are like in an imaginal way maybe more similar to what the egyptians might have been doing with stellar magic you know and like uh kind of de- yeah. deliver to us like like a wealth of of creative imaginal image like i don't even know exactly what to call it like access to more into more worlds um that there's like a real separation between like what is magic, what is witchcraft, what is astrology and blending them is really dangerous for like when it's comes from an uninformed place just cause it gets muddy and you lose definition or, or, or rigor, but like they do need to be blended, but like carefully, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, the thing is, I think there's just a lot of, um, well, because of social media, a lot of people, like I have access to all of these ideas, these thoughts, like people that read you or read anybody like in like astrologer or magic and stuff, but people don't know the language. So only little pieces get taken and, you know, we're in the era of Harry Potter and all of these right. things too. So it gets confused. Like everything gets confused together. So, and like you said, I think the clarity and sep- like, it's important to really understand what each language is about before you can sort of start blending everything together and really do a synthesis of like what it means to, you know? Um, and I mean, not everybody has the time for contemplation and for understanding these language. And that's the role of the astrologer and magician to translate, you know, but at this, that's why I'm really careful on social media too. It's just, I don't really claim to be doing things so much as I just want to show people what they can do with like the simple lunar rhythm, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because a lot of people that read me don't know the language of astrology and I always have that them in mind. I'm like, okay, well I can give them little pieces that will help them understand a little bit more of the language and also the physicality, the experiential part of it so that they can start feeling it, you know? Yeah, totally. Uh, as opposed to just like being an intellectual sort of thing. Um, like I have somebody uh, that I work with who doesn't know at all the astrology, use the CoStar app. Um, and that's fine, whatever. But um, she was having her Mars return this week. So I was like, I really got into, I really got her into that space, the Mars return and it's on her ascendant and she has that in cancer. So I was like, you know, um, I just sent her all sorts of things that she could do to like really tune into that return so that she would know what that Mars means for her in her life in general, in her chart, how it shows up, you know? So I tried to like, show her how to attune to that Mars return by doing sort of Mars and cancer activities. And she's a baker. So that was easy. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, yeah. That's the best way as an astrologer I've found, like just kind of tuning people into the, the tonality so they, they can find their own tonality because I'm not the other person. I don't know how they experience a transit or how they experience their natal chart. I can just express the symbols. But ultimately, the best thing you can do as an astrologer is show people how to tune to to the language, you know? Yeah, totally. I like that example of, like, the baker. To- like, yeah, yeah, you can kind of be like, 
here's like a big list of things that you can you can try and see if one of them like uh one of them really like resonates yeah you're like uh yeah like if like you said like like i know someone who um like has like the moon in the second house in uh pisces and like they like um like taught sailing like for money for a while and then they stopped that and now they like um now like they also bake you know but they're always like stretching dough and like and like 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 cheese and like you know what I mean and it's like (laughs) and it's near the the ocean like it's near the bay where they do it you know so it's like yeah it's like the same thing even though it's you know what I mean like um but yeah when someone's having a transit like being like oh well here's a list of a bunch of physical things you can go and experience that might like might just like not trigger but just like you said like resonate with or it is like a kind of tuning, like when you're tuning an instrument and you hear that harmonic, you know, and you hear, you're like, okay, yeah, there it is. Like, yeah, you you have to exaggerate it, I think, for people in order for them to see it. You know, do you remember when you started learning astrology, how maybe you focused a little bit on your ascendant, maybe your moon, you know, Mm -hmm. and just dismiss everything else, (laughs) sort of like, (laughs) it just all clumped together and you're kind of happy just sort of having the rising, let's say, and and then the more you understand and the more you understand, the more you realize how complex and multi-layered and very different it is. But it you can only get there once you know. So I feel like people who don't know, you really have to exaggerate these placements, make it really, really obvious. That's why like an hour consultation, you could spend it just talking about the moon. You know? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and there's so much to say. And it's the same thing for forecasting. Like when I go on Instagram, I'm like, I have so much to say, but it's not worth my time because most people will not even, you know, comprehend because it's too, like, it's too um, complex to comprehend in an Instagram post with the attention span that we have now, you know. So I'm like, I'll just focus on the moon and the sort of wave that it creates this week and that's it, you know, exaggerate that aspect or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I think, like, the moon kind of needs to be exaggerated right now like especially magically too i feel like there's a lot of like rushing towards a million things you could do where the moon could probably tell us a lot and give us a lot of results and and put us i've been thinking a lot about the lunar mansions and kind of like um like kind of the animal lists that come from like the the greek magical papyri and like yeah and just kind of like, okay, well, there's this like circle of animals that's available, you know, like, um, that is like a real rhythm and it drifts like from the 24 hour day rhythm. So it's like, sometimes the the moon will ingress into a new lunar mansion in the middle of one of our calendar days. And that makes it kind of confusing to try to sync up on it. It's not just like, well, what is it in today? You know, but like, uh, but yeah, it, it changes halfway through a sign, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, I love reading your stuff. You're like one of the only astrologer I follow. Well, I know that uh, that like forecast lunar mention is awesome. It's great for for astrologers. <laughs> you know, for me, I'm like, yes, I, I don't have to actually dig in my books. I can just right. go read <laughs> totally. your yeah, stuff. Right. That's, part, um, that's partly what I've been trying to do is like, 
get people to give them the opportunity to put the book down and like I have to like do double book you know? yeah exactly <laughs> it's a lot of work yeah I'm just being lazy with the moon <laughs> <laughs> but like my I'm kind of switching my goal from being like presenting a ton of information just so people know um every day the moon is doing things that are like there's just like an insane amount of opportunity coming from just what the moon's doing every day but uh, but trying to start to simplify it so you can internalize it so you're like um once you go through the 28 mansions like a few times of just like okay now and i want to start calling them by the animal name rather than like the first mansion or the second mansion you know like be like okay like like it's gonna go from like ox to sphinx and it's gonna repeat and if you just track that every day and every day and like live with it, like I'm wondering how fast it can start being like that. You just know, you know, that, that you're like, you see it. Yeah, because I know what's rising most of the time <clears throat> now, you know, you're right. Totally. Crazy. Yeah, totally. So it would be the same thing. Yeah. So you're just like, oh, I know it's cat right now, you know, like and just, yeah, exactly. It makes sense because this or that. Yeah, it wouldn't take too long. I mean, it's like you get um Everyone, like, people know what sign the moon is in, what, like, solar sign, you know, like, but it's, so it's more, it's, like, 28 rather than 12, but, like, it seems like it would probably work out that you'd get this body rhythm of it, and I think that's really important to, like, kind of put it in the body first and then kind of, like, live with it, you know? Well, that's how you get the best information. It's first-hand information. Every time I read a book, like especially Astrological Magic, like the Picatrix or Agrippa or, you know, mm -hmm. I'm always like, okay, this is the only book that remains from a whole huge tradition. How do we know, really? Like, I, I love following it, but it's not something I follow to the letter because I'm, like, my experience is more important, yeah. you know? And, and, like, they had such agendas, you know, like the... The, yeah, exactly. The authors of the Picatrix are obviously up, you know, a lot of times up to something that we're just not going to be up to. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, I, absolutely. I don't know when and, the last time I like sieged a city was, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, you can translate that into other affairs, obviously. And it's nice to have a guideline, but I'm always like, I will always favor experience. Um, yeah. And just to return to the moon briefly, also, even just uh, in regards to theory the moon like carries the light of um carries the light of the sun she sort of she is sort of the translator of everything else that is going on yeah, and i think totally. that was my mo main motivation for starting to write about the moon also because i started writing on mondays i was like this is perfect i'll just write about the moon on mondays um because she translates everything else that's going on the bigger aspects so you know like, I, I was curious to see now that midweek with Mars in Cancer and the moon in Aries right now, how that would sort of show up. Because, yeah, it, it's been a while since uh, Mars was in Cancer. And, you know, that's how I sort of look at the bigger transit. I always kind of try to look at it with the moon as if it was a magnifying glass. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's a, yeah. And as it gets like, as it waxes and wanes the different things that it's it's going to do like it's like oh it's going to like increase like you know it's going to be bringing in more stuff or now it's going to be draining stuff out or like like what kind of divination happens like you know when the moon is it's a different kind of divination that you can do when the moon is like 
loading you up like when the magnet the magnifying glass is like really on and there's also like a spotlight on and like it's really juiced up like a work light or something you know like yeah, yeah, exactly. and, and then what kind of divination you can do and all the lights are off and you can see things like um you can kind of see through like all the mumbo jumbo and it's like the the veil is thin and you can kind of hear the whispers you know like my favorite time of the month <laughs> yeah for sure yeah totally <laughs> i know like I'm, really, I'm really looking forward to uh this weekend because the moon will be very dark in taurus with venus just before the new moon i'm right. really really looking forward to that <laughs> totally me too yeah 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 and, yeah absolutely <laughs> Well, maybe that's a good time to pause then because... Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we've been chatting for a long time. Um, well, thanks very much for doing this and definitely want to talk to you more. There's other stuff I want to talk to you about, but maybe this is good for today and we can like get another um, behind-the-scenes communication going and, and talk Absolutely. again in the future. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for listening to Liminal Light. Our guest today was Elodie Saint-Anne-Jabou, Elodie Miao on social media, and ninthhouseastrology.com on the World Wide Web. I'm Chrissy Chris Puchere Rapucci, and you can find me at atavisceral.com, A-T-A-V-I-S-C-E-R-A-L.com, where I post articles and forecasts, offer chart readings, astrological consultations, divinations, occult services, and more. The show was on hiatus for a few months this past winter, but now I should be going full steam ahead once again. So look out for more interviews soon with artists, musicians, astrologers, magicians, poets, ritualists, and those who live life with a little extra attention. Thanks very much. Ciao.